Hi, I'm Brian Grant, and you're listening to On Time, the Brian Grant Foundation podcast about living with Parkinson's. If you want to know more about Brian Grant Foundation, go to briangrant.org. This year, India's population surpassed that of China, with a population of more than 1.4 billion people and an incidence of 1% of the population. There's a large number of people who are living with Parkinson's, and this number is trending upward. Despite the good quality healthcare that is available in India, the burden of Parkinson's disease is high, and awareness and access to healthcare services for patients, particularly in rural areas, remains challenging. As we continue to talk with people around the globe about their experience with Parkinson's, we're focusing this episode on the experiences of those living in the world's most populous country. I'm Dr. Sonia Mather, your host for this series of On Time, a Parkinson's podcast. And in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Maria Barreto, CEO of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Society, about the impact of PD in India. Welcome, Dr. Barreto. Thank you, Sonia. Dr. Barreto, I'm particularly interested in speaking with you about Parkinson's experience in India because my parents were born there. I was raised in that culture. I've been back to visit family, and I feel that sense of familiarity. So personally, I'm very interested in learning what the life experience of someone living with Parkinson's disease is like in India. But maybe let's start off with your organization. What is the mission of the Parkinson's Disease and Movement Disorder Society? So like all NGOs with a medical condition, the mission is to improve the quality of life of people with Parkinson's and their families. And within our context and the limitations that we have, to plan programs and services to meet their needs. And when was the organization started and, and how was it started? So the organization was started, it was founded by Dr. B.S. Singhal, renowned neurologist, who still practices at the age of 90. He's 90 this year and he still practices. And he had a group of neurologists and particularly he realized that through his practice, people with Parkinson's were not able to find a place where they were understood, where they were heard. And with limited medical and allied health professionals, he wanted this organization to be a place where they could express their needs and we, we would then be able to find program services to meet them. The other thing was that it was a lifelong condition. So it was not like other conditions where you came, you did an educational program, people understood, and that was it. But here it was living with a lifelong condition. So therefore, they would require support through the length of that condition. So that was his ideal and that was his mission to provide them with this kind of support through the lives that they lived or their journey with Parkinson's. And how long have you been doing this work? So the society was founded in 2001, but uh, I joined Dr. Singhal in 2004. Uh, prior to that, they would do one educational conference uh, at Bombay Hospital where they would educate about Parkinson's. But they then realized that that was not enough. And uh, I joined him in 2004 and uh, I said, let's do one thing. Let's try and understand what do they really want. And uh, then we started with a support group and talking to them. And the first support group was just five people. But we understood what they wanted and we understood it within the context of our city, which is one of the most, as you know, the most crowded city. So therefore, getting for them getting to any hospital or getting to an allied 
was really difficult. Additionally, it was extremely expensive. So we started off, uh, I started my first support group with five people in a suburb in Mumbai. And uh, as of today, we have over 60 support groups across the country. That's amazing. And and you really took to heart listening to the patients, it seems, in order to develop your programming. Exactly. Yes. So that was, that was I think, the success of our program was going to them with some intervention or strategy, giving it to them, and then getting their feedback on it. Whether it worked, whether it didn't work, or were they interested in it, was it not interesting, was it something that they were looking for? So there was a lot of that interaction that happened that actually built this program. And based on that program, part of it must be educating the general public about Parkinson's disease, I would imagine. But how is, how is Parkinson's disease perceived in India? So the awareness is really very limited. And it's mostly with people who have had a family member or someone they know with Parkinson's. Even amongst, in, for example, even in a city like Mumbai, where there's a high level of education, to many of them, it's tremor. It's a physical symptom that's tremor. That it is a neurological condition. Even that information is really limited. So, accordingly, when there is such a little understanding of the condition, when you go out and say you want to do something for Parkinson's, the first question is, what is Parkinson's? So towards that end, we have started right with the government. I mean, when we started. And uh, a couple of years ago, Parkinson's got included in the Rights to Disability Act, which was not there earlier. The society, as we are, uh, I've been invited by the government of India to make recommendations on programs and policies for people with Parkinson's. So that's at that level. But at every level, even medical and allied health professionals, the information about Parkinson's is limited. So we keep doing programs, we keep doing workshops towards that end. So we have various uh, kind of a multi-pronged approach to Parkinson's, starting with the government, with the other non-government organizations whom we can collaborate with, like, for example, the Dignity Foundation or some other senior citizens groups where, you know, they already have a footing or they already have some kind of network going. And uh, also with school children, we started a program called Seeing the World Through Aging Eyes, where we explained to them what you know, if they have a parent or a grandparent with Parkinson's, we have programs for teachers. We started working with various banks because many of our Parkinson's people tell us that, you know, when they go to sign a, to sign a check, it's not accepted. And the bank official gets upset and like, why can't you sign? So we started doing a bit of educational programs for them. We are working with the police because sometimes they may meet a person with Parkinson's who who, you know, can't, you know, but there's freezing or something like that happening. So various targeted audiences and in different forms to raise awareness generally. We're still a drop in the ocean, I would say that, but yes, we are doing that. That That's amazing. I mean, really that multi-pronged approach is is overarching, trying to reduce the burden of stigma of Parkinson's disease in India, which which must translate into 
helping the everyday person living with the disease navigate the world. As CEO of the the society, I'm sure you've come into contact with lots of of individuals living their everyday lives with Parkinson's. Do you have any stories of that serve as examples of what life is like for someone with this disease in India? Yeah. So when we go out, you know, into the rural areas where they don't know what they're suffering from is Parkinson's. The person and the family have kind of, okay, this is it. There is something going on with him. We don't know what it is, but he's going to lead a life of dependence and it's going to deteriorate. And then we go in and we do our initial, you know, we have like a checklist because to get a neurologist there is really difficult. And then we hold a medical camp where we do get a neurologist. And then we see that change, not only the person, but with the family. The, the beginning of some amount of levodopa given to them, we start with medication. And then that same person laying in a bed, doing nothing, with everyone just kind of, uh, you know, doing everything for him. Then we move into rehabilitation. We start small community groups in the, in, in the village or in a couple of villages. And that very same person who initially would come with three people helping him to the group now is walking to the group and is energizing the other ones, motivating the others. So, you know, from an almost non-existence to living a very good life as far as they feel as, and as far as their family, as as they as we always tell them, we're going to try to make your today a little better than your yesterday. So we see that kind of happening with them. That's incredibly inspiring. <laughs> You're obviously you know creating a, a world of good for for people that are suffering. In general, though, Dr. Berto, how is medical care for people with Parkinson's in India, like, and how does that differ between the urban and the rural centers? So that, I guess, in every country, urban and rural is hugely different. In urban, we have a lot. In rural, we have nothing. But even in urban, we... Uh, so if you go to a private practitioner, it's expensive. It costs a lot. There are public hospitals that do offer care and free services, but they are so overburdened that most of the time they can look at critical care at emergencies. Now, what happens for a, with a person like Parkinson's? He goes to a public hospital, he gets diagnosed, and he's told it's a lifelong condition. There's nothing much we can do. So that's one thing that kind of is a lack of motivation to go back to the hospital to do a re-routine or, or you know, to even get reassessed. And secondly, even if you don't do reach there, the neurologists are so overburdened looking at stroke and all these kind of things that, you know, by the time it comes to your opportunity to see them. So it's not that we don't have services. There are public hospitals with neurology departments, but you have to visit them to understand what I'm talking about. Now, when it goes to the rural areas, most of them, neurologists does not exist, but even physicians are limited. So they would go to a physician and they would possibly get a prescription and start medication. But many of them don't even feel the need to go there because they don't know what's happening. As I said earlier, it's invariably a tremor or rigidity. So it's like, okay, you're growing old. 
So this is possibly related to that. So that's the that's our reality. But rather than talking about, you know, the challenges, as I always say, in a country like ours, we're full of challenges. Every medical condition has a challenge. But we're very solution-based. So that's how we operate. So we started these small community-based support groups that don't need a hospital. So every community would have wherever we can go. And uh, in places where there are no physiotherapists, we find people locally and we train them. So that's that's the way I would look at it. That in a populate, as you said, currently one of the most populated places in the world. But yes, I think they're resilient. Yes. No, I, I agree with being solution oriented. I think that's probably the best approach to to once I once you identify the challenges. Um, what other types of therapies and resources are you able to provide to help people live well with this condition? Okay, so physiotherapy is the most heard of. And once again, it's in the bigger cities where there are physiotherapy facilities available. Uh, They can go to physiotherapy and they can see a physiotherapist. The same public-private issue as far as cost goes. Uh, Rural areas, obviously, no. But the issue here is that even in the cities, they do not see that physiotherapy can help them. They are still in this absolute monotherapy, which is medical. So that changing that mindset is the first, first step that, you know, you can do things. There are ways, there are intervention strategies that may be simple enough. You may not even need to go to a physiotherapist. So that's what we do in these community-based groups. We provide them with all kinds of therapy, from physiotherapy, speech therapy. Maybe therapy is uh, would not be technically correct to use, but they are interventions. So, for example, we asked them, what would you like to do? So they said, you know, nobody in my house understands me. So we teach them simple exercises that they can tell their grandchild or tell someone, this is what I want. Or, for example, if there is freezing, What are the simple things you can do so that you have that kind of confidence that you can go out on your own? Or if it's transferred in a chair or getting out of a bed. So we provide these kind of interventions and we explain it to them. But what's really working is when they come back and we ask them, did you do this? And they say, yes, it worked. The others in the group, so I can tell them any amount of things. They say, oh, well, you know. You don't know what you're talking about, the usual. But when another person with Parkinson says, hey, listen, you know, they taught me this. I did these exercises, upper limb, lower limb, whatever they have taught me. And I can now do things for myself. So that is another added aspect of this community-based approach. So this model that we have provides them with physiotherapy, speech therapy, ideas in occupational therapy. We have art where they use fine motor skills. We have dance therapy. But it's all kind of designed into a program. But if you're talking about the general public and the general access to allied health, it's physiotherapy that people think should work and would work. And there are people who do go to private uh, physiotherapists. As I said, that depends on 
you know, the ability to pay for those services. Right. What I actually, when you're speaking, what I identified with most is in your community, um, community programming, you seem to identify an individual's quality of life goal, what's most bothersome to them, as opposed to blanketing everybody with the same type of therapy. So it's, it's, it's really a valuable way to do things. And then when they come back with their successes, as you said, they can inspire other people, which is fantastic. Um, just to go back one step, when we talked about um, medication, you said p- people will get on medication. What is the medication access like in, in India for, for individuals? Is there a public system that helps pay for that medication or is it all privately funded by patients? So in the public hospitals, uh, they would get the, the medication free. Uh, but otherwise, Levodopa is available in different formulations depending on the pharmaceutical company. That's available at a very reasonable rate. Uh, the other medications are expensive, but I think most often uh, what is prescribed is uh, a Levodopa-based medication. So you have Singdopa, I think that's the most common that everybody talks of, like almost synonymous with Shipodopa in our country. Right. So there's not a supply issue and it, it seems to be readily available. No. Most. And there are some states. Uh, so, you know, India has many states, right? We have one country, but uh, different states have different medical policies uh, for health. And some states provide them with uh, medication, even assistive devices. So if you go to to a public hospital, you can even get an assistive device. But as I said, it varies from state to state, and each state has their own medical policies. And but but medication per se, if you go to a government hospital, it, it's available. That's good to know. Um, as the world's most populous country, and in your organization having to help support the unique challenges of this community, what are those challenges that you feel you have to address? in order to adequately support the Parkinson's community in India? Firstly, raise awareness. That's the most important. Because I, I think that as we raise awareness, like we're going to do a big thing for World Parkinson's Day on the 10th of April. We're having a huge program. We're trying to do TV. We're trying to do media. Because one is you're raising awareness amongst the general public. Secondly, it goes to people with Parkinson's. When someone says, you know, I think my father's suffering from what you're talking about. So that, I think, is really important. Raising awareness is really very important. And secondly, I think as funding is a problem everywhere, funding of these community groups so that we can have more of them reaching out to people with Parkinson's. I think it has changed from when we, when I started in 2004-05, but... Uh, there is definitely many more people. And uh, it's quite often someone who has had a family member with Parkinson's has come to our support group, benefited from it, and then they come back and, you know. In fact, there was one, one, uh, one gentleman, he, he lived alone. And after he passed away about two months later, I had got a call from someone to say, are you Dr. Barreto? I said, yes. He said, well, I am the executor of... Uh, Mr. So-and-so's will, and uh, he has left whatever he has to the Parkinson Society. That was, you know, and he kept telling me, you know, when I, when he used to come to the support group meeting, he says, I'm going to leave something for you. And, and, you know, it's that kind of conversation. But that was, 
And even till today, a lot, just two days back, another lady called up and said, you know, this group meant so much to my mother and therefore I would like to donate so that more people with Parkinson's can be helped. But as I said, it's those kind of people who've had a family member or someone they cared about that really come back. And because we do not charge anyone to access our services. Every service is free of charge. So, you know, you have to run a society, but I think by the grace of God, we've been good and things are moving, but we have a long way to go, a really long way to go. Dr. Bredo, do you have any services directed towards young onset patients? Well, we are really trying there. Uh, we started with, I think, two or three young onset uh, people with Parkinson's. Today, we have about 150 who are part of our group. But uh, where I think uh, we've not been successful is being able to identify resources to help this group. Uh, their issues are very different, many of them being employment. So though technically in the Rights to Disability Act, they cannot be uh, taken out from their place of employment. But what happens on paper and what happens in real life, we all know is slightly different. Secondly, uh, there are a lot of issues at home, young children, relationship issues. So we would really need like a group of, of psychologists to be able to help us with this. Where currently we do not have that resource. So the group uh, meets online twice a month. And once a month, the group in Mumbai meets. So we started with a physical group. Uh, the other thing is we cannot do community-based groups. The whole stigma thing still exists in our country. So uh, they are much more comfortable or doing an online group. But it's a challenge. I'm still finding a solution too. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the stigma aspect of Parkinson's disease in India and how that hinders your work? So, uh, you know, in India, you possibly uh, must have heard since you have underage in here, marriage is a big thing. Okay, we still have the uh, arranged marriage thing. So they in some way feel that any condition may be hereditary and therefore they do not want people to know that they have Parkinson's till the son or daughter is married. So that's one issue, which we are, I mean, we're trying our best to do education and things like that, but that's still it. The other thing is, uh, for the young onset, they don't want people in their office to know that they have Parkinson's for fear of losing their job. So these are, I mean, some of the key issues related to stigma and, you know, living with Parkinson's in our country. As I said, the education level, uh, and it's not just Parkinson's, it's, it's most conditions and, you know, people like to, I mean, even children with disability. Uh, but people do not want people in the community to know. So we're moving ahead, I would say that. In the cities, it's different. In the towns, it's different. But in, we work in rural and tribal India as well. So we're trying to change that to a great extent. And we have. I mean, I, I can see that now after going in there, 
when maybe just one or two people would come up and then someone else would come and say, you know, I have someone at home with Parkinson's. We cannot come to the group. Can you send your physiotherapist to the house? You know, so I guess these are issues that we have to learn. Right. I mean, stigma is a worldwide issue, a global issue when it comes to any. It's worldwide and in different forms, in different forms. And, and it's informing your work, which is really important. And you're making progress, which is even more of a, a win-win for sure. Yes. yes. Um, Dr. Berto, as we come to um, uh, sort of towards the end of our discussion, if you could make one change today in the lives of people with Parkinson's in India, what would it be? Okay, two changes. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. One, identify strategies to reach the undiagnosed. And two, to reach out to all those living with the condition. To bring to them that hope, that resilience that we see in our support group members. And when they tell us, I may have Parkinson's, but Parkinson's will not have me. If we can do that, then I think we've done something. Thank you so much, Dr. Bretto, for speaking with us today and sharing your inspiration. And thank you to our listeners. We are a global Parkinson's community. We can learn a lot from each other, our similarities, our differences in approach, and the variability in our resources and services. These are not only a matter of interest, but can serve to increase our knowledge of the management and needs of Parkinson's disease across geographic and cultural barriers and can serve as motivation for advocating for equity and care for our global Parkinson's community. Until next time, wishing you the best day possible. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you've enjoyed exploring the global Parkinson's experience with us. Thank you. Hi, this is Katrina Call, Executive Director of the Brian Gray Foundation. Thank you for listening to our podcast, which is one of our many programs to help empower people impacted by Parkinson's disease to lead active and fulfilling lives. Our programs are possible because of the generous support of our donors. Please consider helping us continue this work by making a donation at briangrant.org. Thanks again for listening. The Brian Grant Foundation empowers people impacted by Parkinson's to lead active and fulfilling lives. Help support our efforts at briangrant.org. A special thank you to Raphael Sadiq for providing the music for this podcast. This podcast is produced by Brian Griggs. Learn more at GriggsProductions.com.